from my nice home and being deprived of my liberty, but I underwent no actual suffering. For there was no drink there, and Lewis, who was very fond of King Henry, slept both nights the show lasted, curled up in the straw in the big box place our good bloodhound occupied. So we did not suffer. Gringo was furious at having to go. He hated notoriety, and he hated being taken away from Mr. Bonstone. And Mr. Bonstone was just as upset as he was, but there was no help for it. The show was for charity and to acquaint New York with the actual value of the dog heroes of the country, dogs who had risked their lives to save human beings from harm. The dog who took first prize was a little mongrel who had so little thoroughbred in him that nobody could tell in which class of dogs his ancestors had started. He had saved 500 hotel guests from death by fire. The hotel was a regular fire trap, and he had barked and raged when he smelt the smoke till he drew attention to the dreadful danger, and everyone got out while the hotel burnt to the ground. Gringo got third prize. I was surprised to hear how many events the modest old dog had been in. He was chained next to me, and his remarks on the show were killing. He loathed vain dogs, these fellows who adore shows, and when the traveling boxes are brought out, bark with excitement, and on arriving, bask all day long in popular approval. I had honorable mention. Gringo thought I would get a prize, but when I looked round the show, I said, some of these fellows here will ride roughshod over me. It's amazing what a sum of fidelity to the human race they represent. The event of the show to me was, as I had anticipated, the finding out of my value. I was a judge, the best dog of all breeds shown, and my value was placed at $7,000. How I regretted this. Coarse, sporty-looking men, who bestowed not a glance on the noble animals who had saved precious lives, came and stood before me with their beefy faces alight with interest. Most unfortunately, however, it was not the sporting class that took the keenest interest in me. Those men were rough but honest. Two young men of the white-faced, putty-looking class that Master and Mr. Bonstone dread so much to handle made me tremble. They did not come up and stand before me to admire me and ask questions. They stood a long way off, and they got a boy to go and ask an attendant particularly where I lived. I knew I should have trouble with them sometime in the future, and I vowed that they would be pretty clever to catch me napping. Both days I was at the show, they came several times to stare at me surreptitiously, and the second day they brought another fellow of their own class with them. I tried not to worry, and repeated to myself something that Master often murmurs when he is putting on his shoes to go downtown. Where are the worries I had this time last year? Gone with the snows of winter and the roses of summer. Therefore, why worry over the worries of today? The pleasantest thing about the show was, of course, the twice-a-day visits of our owners. The second day, Mr. Bonstone approached our bench, accompanied by Mrs. Waverley, Egbert, and a tall old gentleman who lipped quite a bit. Wooden leg, muttered Gringo. It's the boy's grandfather. I had told Gringo of his master's interest in the portrait of the old baronet. He was as keenly interested as I was, and with me concluded that Mrs. Waverley was correct. Mr. Bonstone was her cousin. Why don't they out with it, said the old dog. I hate secrets. Well, they did out with it this day. A dog show seemed a strange place for a recognition between a noble Englishman and his long-lost nephew, but stranger things than that have happened. Sir Edward had arrived two days before, and Mr. Bonstone had not seen him until he met him coming into the show with Mrs. Waverley and Egbert. Gringo and I stared at them. 
My poor boss, said the old dog, his eyes are eager. He'd like to have relatives like other folks. Mrs. Waverley was sweetly self-possessed. No one would have guessed that she was very much excited and was watching her father and Mr. Bonstone surreptitiously. I have forgotten to say that Walter Scott was chained the other side of Gringo and King Harry, and the three grown-up persons and the boy were fondling us alternately. Mr. Bonstone was delighted that he would be able to take Gringo away that evening. Only a few more hours, kid, he said in a very low voice as he softly rubbed his hand over Gringo's rose ears. A seal ring, his only ornament, for he hated even a breast pin, caught the old baronet's eye. Now he had evidently noticed no familiar resemblance in this man, but he could not help recognizing the ring on which was engraved the family crest. He didn't say anything. He was a very well-set-up, self-possessed old gentleman, and very English. He simply turned a little pale and said, May I look at that ring? Mr. Bonstone nodded and, taking it off, handed it to him. This old man's father was a tartar, Gringer whispered to me. It's rough on him to remember how he and the younger brother who had pluck enough to run away were bully-ragged. Mr. Bonstone stood fondling Gringo's head and looked calmly at his relative. Good blood, muttered Gringo. Do you notice, boy, that the quality don't shriek and tear their hair over great events? They're quiet as the grave. I didn't say anything, but I imagined a panorama passing before the eyes of the fine-looking old man turning the ring round and round in his hand. Having been in England, I could call up a picture of the old country house, the pleasant life, the gentle mother, the domineering old father, the submission of the elder son, the rebellion of the younger, and now the younger son was dead, but his son lived and would slip into the place of his father in this old man's heart. Your Christian names, asked Sir Edward in a low voice as he returned the ring. Edward Norman Mannering. Sir Edward's eyes clouded. He dropped his head on his breast for a few seconds. His dead brother had given his own dear brother's name to his son. Then he spoke again. Why Bonstone? My mother's name, said Mr. Bonstone shortly. Sir Edward glanced at Mrs. Waverley, who had moved away a few paces while the two men were talking. She smiled brightly. She understood. Then he said in a low but a beautiful affectionate voice, You have your father's eyes. Give me your arm, my boy. Gringo, I said, isn't that a perfectly touching sight to see that dear old man going about leaning on those two young people? Gringo spoke very gruffly. He pretended he didn't care, but I could see he was deeply moved. Now my kind master's got some folks, he said. There's not a line of worry about him. We'll see something very fancy in his life now. And we did, for it appeared that the possession of relatives of his own had been the one thing lacking to round out Mr. Bonstone's beautiful life. His devotion to his uncle was superb. He was down at Mrs. Waverley's constantly, and when he was not there, Sir Edward was at Green Hill. There was a great excitement all over this place, and in New York, too, when it was announced that Mr. Bonstone was related to the distinguished English army officer and present clergyman, Sir Edward Medlington and was a cousin of the aristocratic Mrs. Waverley. Nobody seemed jealous. Everybody was glad. Mrs. Resterton basked in reflected light. She dragged in the title whenever she could with propriety, and the way she mouthed the Sir Edward was lovely to hear. Gringo grinned whenever he heard her. Never before heard two words giving a woman such satisfaction, he said. The nice old lady's only regret was that the title passed to Egbert as the son of the eldest son, rather than to Mr. Bonstone as the son of the younger. 
I heard Mrs. Bonstone one day enlightening her. Grandmama, she said, don't you understand Norman well enough to know that if he had inherited a whole bushel of titles, he would reject them all? As it is, he often shocks his uncle by his democratic ways. No, Norman is a plain American. He has thrown off his English traditions. Sir Norman has a very pleasant sound, said the old lady plaintively. How Mrs. Bonstone laughed. And Lady Bonstone, or Lady Medlington, she said, wouldn't that be charming? Imagine a milkmaid and a poultry woman with a title. That is all I aspire to be. The dogs, too, were very fond of talking about the baronet, and great discussions took place up in the orchard about his title, and his artificial leg, and his nice, simple ways, and his clear manner of speaking. Some of the dogs held that it was a great pity that a baronet should have a 